This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix and helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Welcome to episode 54 of InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from our 11FS recording studio in Finsbury Avenue. On today's show, we are taking a deep dive into the world of automation and AI in insurance. We'll be looking at what automation can do for insurance companies, what possibilities and limitations there are in using AI and machine learning, as well as what it can do for customer experience. Um, to talk about this with me, I am joined by some fantastic guests. Uh, first up, I have William Maunder Taylor, who is AI Impact Strategist EMEA at Spark Beyond. Um, thank you very much for coming along. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Can you um, start by telling us a little bit about Spark Beyond? What, what is it? What does it do? And, and how is it relevant to insurance and insurtech? Yeah, I'll try and do it justice. So we're one of the first big breakthroughs in applying AI to cognition and creativity. You've seen it in robotics. You've seen it in natural language processing. And where we really sit is asking the best questions of data to find the really undiscovered insights to then drive business impact. And so we work across all sectors. But I think by nature of the stage that the insurance sector is in, we're seeing incredible business impact in 10 to 12 weeks and seeing the uptake there. I think many because of the data they sit on and the 20 to 30 manual processes they have. But thank you very much for having me. Brilliant. Thank you for coming. Um, we also have Stephanie Taylor, who I'm assured is no relation, um, insurance AI lead at Microsoft. Thank you for coming on. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, not necessarily about Microsoft, um, we might be here all day, but um, how Microsoft uh, is working with Spark Beyond and, and what you guys are up to? Yeah, so um, Spark Beyond are one of our partners. So we have a massive partner ecosystem. Um, we work with sort of thousands of different partners. Spark Beyond are one of our kind of um, strategic AI and machine learning uh, lead partners and we introduce them to many of our customers. So they're, they're definitely a showstopper. So I really like working with Will and the team. Brilliant. I'm also joined by James Breeze, Digital Artificial Intelligence Lead at AXA XL. Uh, great to have you along, James. Um, we have mentioned AXA XL before. Perhaps you could give us a little bit of an overview of what your role is there. Sure, thank you and hello. Um, so my role at AXA XL is the, um, part of the digital team. I lead up the artificial intelligence and what we do there is we research AI technology, we work with the business and we solve their problems to make their world better. So that's essentially what we do and, we, and that can then go on to a, a full-blown productionised product, but uh, research mainly. Brilliant. Um, and last but by no means least, we have Luke Bewley, Product and Partnerships at Sertura. Situa. 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 Okay. Um, apologies for that. Thank you for coming along. Can you tell us a little bit about Situa and what you do? No problem, Sarah. Thanks for the introduction. So um, at Situa, we provide a platform that connects manufacturers or traditional manufacturers of financial services products to um, alternative channels of distribution. And we do so by, um, as I said, we work with supply-side partners to onboard traditional products, make them available via an API layer to support the end-to-end -end customer lifecycle, and uh, with those products available, distributed network can combine them with smart data services to produce innovative and unique propositions unlike anything else out there in the market at the moment. So we're trying to enable the next generation of insurance propositions. Brilliant. So I have got a very varied panel here today, um, which should make for an excellent conversation. So let's get on with the show. 
Um, first things first, I'm going to do a little bit of context. So um, even the most experienced underwriters might have to spend hours of their day going through administrative tasks and still a lot of data that comes into the industry is very unstructured. There's a lot of manual processes. So the idea is that with the help of AI and automation, um, insurers can um, make a lot of those processes more efficient and in turn, they can save a lot of money and time. Um, but as with anything that uh, you know uses new technology, there are, of course, limitations and risks alongside that. So on this show, we're going to be taking a look at the positives and the negatives of using AI and automation in the insurance industry, what it can do and indeed can't do. Um, and so we're going to give you a little bit of a stat here because I like a few numbers. I'm a, I'm a researcher, I'm an analyst at heart. Um, so McKinsey says that by 2030, AI will inform every major decision an insurance company makes. Now, I wish I could just go discuss, but let's take it back a few steps. Um, and let's, let's start with probably the trickiest question I'm going to ask you all day, some definitions. So um, do you want to, who wants to start with sort of, a lay person's definition of artificial intelligence. Who wants that one? You're... I can do a basic one. Yes, please. The, ba- the more basic, the better, because I think sometimes it can get overcomplicated. Okay, that's fine. I can do that. So automation is all around allowing machines to perform repetitive, monotonous tasks. So it's like a person that does exactly what you tell them to do. Okay, very so simple. Automation, but before that, we've got artificial intelligence. Yep. So what's that one? So artificial intelligence is more about. Um, mimicking the way in which humans say, think, um, and do. They can sort of seek patterns and they can come up with in like insights. So that's more of like your super hyper-intelligent worker as opposed to the kind of person who does exactly what you tell them to do. <laughs> your robot. Who wants to add to that, William? Yeah, so I think pairing that with a technical definition of sorts, but I take my colleague's approach of if you ask 15 people what AI means, you get 20 different responses. Of course. We would probably tend to put it down to taking an open source algorithm, training it on data instead of a rules-based approach to then have a defined action or outcome. Anybody else want to, to add to this? Please, yep, yeah. I can add to that. Uh, I think it's a bunch of technologies out there that uh, automate tasks and processes that people do. That's so, my simple answer to that one. <laughs> so we, we, we sort of trying to, try to pull this out a little bit. Um, does automation always involve AI? Does AI always mean automation? I, I know the answer, but I want you guys to tell our listeners. You're just looking at me. <laughs> William, please. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess, I guess the point is that, you know, you, how would you do automation if you weren't using AI? What would, how would that work in the insurance industry? Some of the use cases we see with automation is more the manual processes such as scanning medical records um, onto screens or screen shares, screen snaps, that sort of area. So very basic. I think James may have more de- deep understanding of, of the application automation side outside of AI. Yeah, sure. So we, you've heard of robotic process automation, RPA, mm-hmm. it's an industry term. That's automation without AI, although some people may disagree with me. Um, that is just automating tasks that don't need any intelligence, so mm-hmm. pretty basic tasks. Is it, would it be fair to say that's rules-based? So it's if this, then that, if yeah, this, Yeah, pretty then much that. so, yeah, and repeatable and... If uh, statements, uh, to if those statements. of us who are <laughs> fond of spreadsheets. Yeah, whereas AI is more around it, the, the, the ability to learn and to adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, so reading documents, for example, before you input the data, reading the document, understanding it, that'd be artificial intelligence. Inputting that result will be... Automation and RPA. Does anybody else want to add to that, please? Yeah, and I think just just to add to that quickly, I think automation is seen across the industry throughout the customer lifecycle already in 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 quite a high regard. So, 
where you got engagement with customers. You can automate email campaigns, automate email notifications to be triggered at certain actions and events. Um, it could be an automated recommendation based on some external data source or even in um, yeah, the quote and underwriting journey as well. So automated rule bases exist, and I think it's something that's quite prevalent in the industry mm-hmm. so far. It's already quite widespread, you'd say? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, we've kind of got an overview there. I think we've got a pretty good understanding of at least the differences between the two. Let's talk about a few of the areas where automation is being used, and then we will move on to, to AI more broadly. Um, but some of the areas that come up a lot, we hear about chatbots, some of that is automation um, without you know AI behind it. It is it's answering questions. Um, claims processing, form filling... You know, does anybody want to comment on these particular areas, how widespread it is, you know, how efficient and and the benefits of using automation in some of these areas or indeed any other areas that that you think are more interesting that I've missed? Oh, looking at me. So we we automate a lot of our uh, shared services, our operations uh, using bots or RPA processes. Um, and they tend to be essentially around the claims processing and submissions. Uh, so what tends to happen is you still get a human that will um, harvest the information from the submission or the claim. And then once it's been structured by that human, it then gets automated and then you get the first notice of loss being processed through to claim and so on and stuff and um, sanctions checking for submissions and stuff like that. So all that stuff is being automated. But the piece that we are working on is a bit around actually understanding that first email or that first attachment that comes in with a, a first notice of loss or a submission from... So taking the human out of that, that first bit. Yes, that's the bit we're working on at the moment. That's the challenging bit. Huh? <laughs> OK. Anybody else want to add anything on automation before we before we shift into the AI part of the conversation? No. We all want to get straight into AI. <laughs> all right, let's do it. Um, so AI more broadly then... Uh, where you know the, the the easy question is where where can it be used in the insurance industry? But if you could give you know examples and particularly types of artificial intelligence, because I think there is a problem um, not just in insurance but across the financial services industry that people will put AI on anything. As somebody who really receives twenty press releases a day, I can guarantee you that it's like buzzword bingo. Um, but there are obviously different types of artificial intelligence. So I'd really love it if if the people around the table could give me some examples of where it's being used and what type of artificial intelligence it is. Will you, William, you put your hand up straight away? So I'm going to go straight to you. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it a go. But I'm, I'm sure we'll be adding to this. Okay. So I think we tend to see today about ninety percent of investment has been in the robotics piece, that natural language processing, and you're starting to now see it in the creative space, so data science, which is a mix of statistics, mathematics, and then machine learning. So it sits on the edge really of that AI bubble. Across insurance, we're seeing applications throughout that value chain. So sales and marketing, distribution, underwriting pricing, fraud, claims management. And I think one of the reasons you're seeing the application insurance now is you have uh, large incumbents with a lot of data some very technical individuals, um, and then the digital native innovators coming to the space. And you've got a real chance here where you have this dichotomy of uh, a digital front to customers, but in the back end, it's highly manual. And the incumbents who are starting to take AI and apply it for impact are seeing massive market share gains because the customers' expectations have grown massively. And so it does seem to be the right time. 
And for some insurance companies, they've got very mathematical, very technical people. You've mentioned underwriters, actuaries, fraud analysts, heads of sales and marketing who are ripe to start using this wave of democratized AI to drive the business impact and perhaps go a bit deeper in use cases later. So that's interesting, um, an interesting point. We often, when we talk about artificial intelligence, whether it's in insurance or financial services more broadly, talk about how difficult it is to hire the right people who can who can use it, who can implement it properly. But you're suggesting that insurance kind of already has a ready-made pool of talent that could quite easily pick up these skills. Yep. Mm. Love to give some examples of that and actual individuals who are not data scientists mm. driving actual business impact against KPIs um, when you when you wish to go there. I think from our perspective as well, we see um, a lot of customers are very keen on learning. Mm-hmm. So we offer a lot of training and education and I think they really want to spend a lot of time and energy and investment in getting their employees up to speed with kind of new technologies. And something I find with Stephanie in our meetings with some of the UK insurance companies is for the first time, the business stakeholders are starting to pull on the digital leaders, such as James and others, to start driving the KPIs because they see that you have data, insight, and to drive the impact, you have to really originate it in the business. So um, do you want do you want to give some examples on that or should we go, do you want to give some examples? You said you've got a few examples there. Let's do that and then we'll go back to around the table and hear some some other examples of where our AI is being used. So just to continue that thread whilst we're there. Yeah, so I might give two. So one sits in the in the finance insurance space um, with a large Swiss name. And there we trained up the head of sales and marketing. He had a statistics background, not a day scientist to use our software. And he was trying to look at conversion. So looking at distribution through a call center, and you're seeing the insurance space move from call centers to contact centers with that. I think historically had the single point of contact on the renewal and insurers could hide behind that. And now they're really seeing the need to interact with customers more, understand their their life journey. And they were looking at insights that would drive sell-through. And they found just using their data and the Spark Beyond platform that there's a 15% correlation between Mondays, Tuesdays, and people not signing up for one of their products versus mm-hmm. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, so a tip for us is don't send emails on Mondays and Tuesdays. <laughs> and... Uh, Sales went up by 12.5%. They cut the sales team Monday, Tuesday, doubled it in the call center Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and saved 400,000 Swiss francs. Um, through to then looking at, say, the life insurance industry. And so we did a piece with one of the, the larger U.S. names. And they could only offer life assurance policies to 6% of the U.S. population before doing invasive medical testing. So asking for doctor's records, sending it in, you have a high churn in your clients, our customers, and some have the expectation of instant decision-making. But in just 12 weeks, we're able to bring in multiple external data sets like census data, demographic, open source maps, and get the deep customer insights that AI now allows you to have. And they're able to offer it to 71% of the US population. So think about 28 million impact in the first quarter, maybe about 170 million to date. But also it's the automating of underwriting. So actually, we were automating 50% more of the underwriting claims, about 30% of all claims in just 12 weeks. And we see the incumbents coming to market, adopting AI with the business stakeholders, so the chief underwriting officers, the heads of sales and marketing, in the fraud analyst teams, it's where you see the real disruptive impact. So that impact is happening by the fact that people within the industry are understanding what you're trying to do, the people within the company, sorry. Yeah, I, I find our biggest challenge in my job day today is to identify business problems like some companies James to deal with to then apply technology to because in most there is a big chasm between the technical teams and the business. Mm-hmm. And a lot of rocket science going on isn't actually driving a KPI or a business need. And so my job tends to be educating the business stakeholders that they can bring in AI in around their team. I think insurance companies actually have a head start because rather than having data science teams sat in a room down the corridor, often disenfranchised from the business, although they're doing mm-hmm. great work, you can start training up this incredible talent with the new democratized AI platforms to have that business impact. And they sit around the business KPIs. They're already in place. Yeah. 
Brilliant. So, um, sorry, Luke, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that's something that's uh, fundamental in the industry. If if you want to have success with any type of platform, whether it's the AI platform or the type of platform we build, is that there, there must be a facility for an incumbent insurance company to test and learn uh, with a low cost of failure or low capital outlay. So if they can't try and implement new solutions quickly uh, without with, without being burdened with a massive cost of, um, of, of, of failure, um, it means it's going to be very difficult to start to roll out new and innovative ideas. So I think, yeah, providing a platform by which they can act as a base to, to quickly test and learn as opposed to traditionally where we've seen um, a high cost of failure. Yeah, I think that's quite important. And, and of course, what you're saying there as well is, you, you know, one of the, the, the um, reducing cost of fails for an insurer is they don't have to hire all these people and then think, oh, that hasn't worked. <laughs> exactly. Or 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 make um, fundamental changes to pricing, which actually are, uh, yeah, and, and result in a, in a large cost, yeah. Okay, so um, James, let's get back to you and talk about maybe some other areas of insurance where AI is being used, either at or Excel or, or maybe, you know, just other areas you happen to know about, given you're a, you're a researcher, you probably um, have a few ideas. Sure, it's, that's important to say because X-Ray Sales commercial insurer um, and personal lines and commercial insurance have fundamentally different problems to solve. Some are yep. similar. Um, with commercial insurance, uh, we've got uh, high value, low volume uh, risks. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our stuff is around um, collating lots of information for a particular large risk. Uh, and so when we set out in the AI world, we looked at natural language processing as one of our key things we needed to find find out about um, so that when a submission comes in, as you say, um, that we can look at that submission from a machine point of view and understand the content quickly for the underwriter then to make the decision. So natural language processing for automating submission is something that we've been looking at in commercial insurance and we've, we've had some success with that, certainly in, in our engineering space. So um, we, we have a big property book, about $4 billion, huge uh, book. Uh, a lot of that comes with engineering information like surveys. So we recently launched uh, an, an NLP, natural language processing product, uh, that will read those reports for the risk consultants. It will score the reports uh, and then feed into the underwriting process automatically. So we've started that automation route of submissions using AI around the NLP piece. Uh, and the other area for NLP for us is claims processing. So again, because we're a commercial insurer, our claims and our risks are very complex. So when a, when a claim comes in, it's not like I've, busted my car, smashed my car up. This is like, you know, I've just, I've had, there's been a catastrophe and just wiped out 10,000 of my properties. Uh, so it tends to be far more complicated in terms of understanding the claim. Uh, so we, we use, we're using natural language processes to harvest that information off the claim and then present that to the claims handler. So they have a head start in, in managing the claim. I think we're a long way off from uh, managing claims automatically, maybe on the small, medium enterprise level, but certainly for the large claims, people want to pick up a phone to somebody and go, oh, I've had a really bad loss here. Uh, what can I do about that? And give me some advice. Same with the risk, really. Our risks you know, are huge, so you don't really want to go online and you know, compare the market <laughs> to insure my rocket or my uh, $5 billion <laughs> of uh, jewellery on, uh, uh, on my latest whatever. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's, that's, that they're the areas we're looking into. And then... Computer vision is a big thing for us at the moment. Because, uh, what's computer vision? Oh, thank you. Yes. So computer vision <laughs> is, is taking images and, and understanding aspects of that image. Mm-hmm. So in simplistic terms, this is a dog, this is a cat. That's your, that's so your, that's your example. Google Lens uses, you take a picture and it, it yeah. tries to work out what is in that picture or try, it's actually very useful for anybody in a sidebar, for identifying plants. If you don't know what plant yeah, is, Google it, works really well for that. Yeah. It's um, exactly that. It's the, the, the challenge that we have, again, in commercial insurance is that there's lots of dogs 
around, mm-hmm. yes. It's easy to throw a million pictures of a dog at a machine and they'll probably identify the next picture as a dog. There's not lots of pictures of particular properties or locations. And so uh, you have to use deep learning techniques to be able to understand, for example, if I've got a property in front of me, what is its construction? Is it made of concrete? Is it made of brick? What is the roof on it? Has it got, how many rivets has it got? All of those aspects wow. of a location, if you can spot them through image recognition or computer vision, you can then start to, again, automate parts of the role of a risk consultant and then an underwriter. And then as you fling forward a few years, maybe you can automate the whole process for some of the smaller risks. And who knows, in 20 years' time, maybe the big risks remove the need for certain aspects of uh, I won't mention the functions names in case they get upset but, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think I think um, yeah, fascinating what you said there but also um, important to hammer home that you know talking about automating a claim if you're automating a claim for £500 worth of damage to a car it goes a bit wrong if the insurance are paying out and perhaps they shouldn't mm, okay that's one thing particularly for testing with a small pool of customers but if it's you know 500 million 5 billion whatever you're yeah. paying out it's a slightly different yeah. kettle of fish Stephanie did you want to jump yeah, in there yeah so um, I was just going to say we work um, with a cross-section of customers, one of them being Liverpool, Victoria, so like kind of the opposite of what we were talking about. Um, And essentially, we worked with them on a project to help them kind of improve the process around claims resolution. So 20% of their um, car claims um, resulted in this kind of grey area where they couldn't attribute blame to one Mm -hmm. party or another. So essentially, they worked with us um, to combine a customer's verbal explanation along with kind of data that they already had um, and created like a machine learning algorithm that could more accurately determine the outcome of these kind of grey matter claims and they reduced it from the 20% down to 3.9 so they're really big on um, customer service and MPV scores and as a result of this project we did with them, they increased their MPV scores, reduced their costs and kind of just made that process so much more efficient so really interesting kind of application of AI to claims. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, the interesting thing there as well, of course, is that I do think sometimes in car accidents there isn't somebody to blame, which is an interesting topic perhaps yeah, so for another day. Go, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, uh, James. Yeah, I just wanted to add to that because you said, what about the other side of the industry? Now we're, yes, now we're AXA because we were XL Catling, which yes. is purely commercial. We have access to all of the you personal lines. You just wanted more X's in your name. <laughs> we just want XXX, XXX, yes. Yeah. And uh, so we, we've been working with our, our new partners and they're doing some interesting stuff around uh, fraud around <coughs> car damage. Mm-hmm. You know, people Photoshop that, believe it or not. You know, car damage. Uh, they the take effort. stock photos from Google and they say that was damage to my car. So uh, clearly, uh, there's a, there's a huge piece around that in terms of fraud detection about people submitting fraudulent photographs, and that could be done automatically now. So, and that's yeah, because you can now if you crash your car, I'll take using apps, mm-hmm. take a picture of the damage and then they can quickly assess, is it a repair or is it a write-off? And then the claims yeah. process is a lot quicker. So you need to slot AI between that yeah. <laughs> and say, whoops, no. Computer, the computer says no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you did that last week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, want to just bring it around uh, to Luke. For, did, was there any other areas of, 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 uh, of automation, <laughs> of insurance that AI is being used in that we haven't covered already or, or some that you want to you know, add some more detail on? Yes, yeah, so, so some of the some of the products that we're trying, or the propositions that we're trying to enable for distributors at Secure, involve um, categorization of large data sets in order to identify areas where a customer can be recommended a certain type of product. So one of the projects, uh, or a project we got involved on, is taking a large bank of um, bank transaction uh, bank transaction data. So with the you know, advent of open banking at the moment, and the ability for an individual to authenticate with their bank as a, as a data source, extract their transaction information. There's 
there's a job for a machine to do whereby they would look to categorize each of those transactions and identify, as I said, areas such as, do you have an outstanding mortgage amount? Do you have an existing insurance policy? Mm-hmm. Have you recently bought a new uh, smart television that you'd need to insure as part of your uh, goods and contents cover and then recommend an addition to an existing product or a new product in order to cover that. So um, it's areas where you're, you're taking large amounts of information that would not be able to be categorized by a user manually. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a, a supervised learning model which takes um, a large bank of prior data, uh, train that model, and then any new new data items will categorize it. So um, yeah, that's, that's another area which is spotting uh, or categorizing data in order to recommend products. Yeah. So we've had, we've had uh, machine learning, we've had supervised learning, we've had natural language processing. I always get that the wrong way around. Did I miss any? What else have we had? Computer vision. Computer vision. How could I forget computer vision? Um, so that's sort of a, a, a pretty good overview of, of some examples of where it's being used. Um, just picking up on what you, you were saying there, Luke, though, let's talk a little bit about some of the limitations here because we've talked so far mostly about the positives and where it can be used. Just want to pick up what you said there, Luke. Um, you know, that sounds fab. But what if I don't want you emailing me telling me I've just got a smart TV? Like, I don't want you to know that. Or what are you going to do with it? So, you know, just I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how maybe the, the ethics or the communication to, to customers about the use of data w- would come into play in that situation. Yeah, I think I think the customers definitely got to opt into that service. So I think as as being a customer connected to that the distributors or the, the distributor of that product service, you would have already opted in and say, I I'm I'm I I'm looking for something, if you like, that's going to recommend things to me which I should want. So it should be only be recommending things that I do need mm-hmm. at, at that point in time. And ov- obviously there would be a facility to disable any of those notifications if, if, if required. I think that's very important, yeah. Otherwise, you, it could be minute-by-minute minute basis as you make more and more mm-hmm. transactions, you're being recommended through <laughs> products throughout the day, which would be terrible. So it's got to be a service. It's got to take that yeah. into consideration, yeah. I think it's worth pointing out with open banking, one of the, the core, uh, key elements of open banking in the UK, at least, and I'm, I'm sure it will be once PST2 finally gets itself sorted in Europe, is being able to opt out, uh, you know, at any point you want. It's your data and you can opt in and out. Exactly. And I, and I think it, it, that's almost a key step. So the notification to customer and the ability for them to then opt into a service is a key step towards something that dynamically adapts as your circumstances change automatically. So if you're opted in, it's almost like a, like an energy bill. So you've got your gas, electricity, water, and you're adding new products in in all the time. And uh, that's something that you're using it in the background. And you'll be charged at the end of the month for, for the amount that you've used. And you can choose to turn things on and off. You can turn your heating on and off, that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, it's a step towards a world where you're policy, if you like, will adapt as you're changing circumstances. An evolving policy, yes. An evolving policy as well. Uh, William, did you had your hand up there. Do you want to talk about some of the, the limitations of AI? Not necessarily in that, or maybe in that set of circumstances, or some other limitations, of which there are many, I'm sure. Yeah, it may not be as interesting as, as the past conversation, but I'll try. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure it is. Everything is interesting. <laughs> um, I think for us, it brings in two things. One is mind plus machine and really augmenting the human, the domain expert. I think that has a a role in the ethics side as well. But also explainability. And if you're providing a a call representative um, who is dealing with a claim with someone on the phone and has to reason why the claim was rejected, to date, you've had black box, which is what we might come on to later. I don't want to steal the thunder. Oh, no, please. Go in, let's go into black box syndrome now. Okay, I'm probably going to make a complete hash of this. Everybody can have a go at black box syndrome. <laughs> Honestly, I won't, I won't pick favourites. So black box traditionally perhaps taking uh, an algorithm, doing what we call auto ML or machine learning, and it would tend to produce, let's say, a number or an insight, but it wouldn't tell you the drivers behind that. 
But what you now have coming to market uh, is explainable glass box technology, where by automating finding the best drivers, the best insights into a predictive model, you can have the reasonings behind that claim being um, rejected or the loan being rejected, um, why something's fraudulent upfront. But then it comes on to the ethical piece. And it's a regulated industry. You need the explainability to drive that. But we find having the human there in the process can help that. And it's one of the safety checks we like to look for. As a company, we don't work in law enforcement, defense, intelligence, tobacco. I think because of the level of responsibility we feel about the insights you're starting to see come into the market. Mm -hmm. And the other limitation I, I might touch on briefly is probably data, mm -hmm. actually. I think people would be surprised to know the difficulty people still have with combining multiple different data sets, but also the ability to find insights in them. And currently, the actual process of testing for insights and data is manual, apart from very basic functions such as a moving average across two columns of data. And that's really where, where we come to play. But I think the others can probably bring that to life better than I have. Yeah, so I would just add to that, um, aside from well, to add to the data bit is the bias that can exist within data. So you want to train your algorithms on a full and complete data set. So you need to make sure that there aren't, whether it's kind of through choice, omission or accident, any kind of um, embedded societal bias. So you need to make sure that, because um, you can then essentially train your algorithms to be um, biased towards a particular group of customers and regulation dictates that you have to treat your customers fairly. So you have to be constantly sort of analysing and monitoring um, the systems that you have in place to ensure, I don't know, as society moves on, are your data sets and your algorithms reflective of kind of where we are today. Yeah, um, we, oh, sorry. I was going to say, um, we, we talked uh, on, on last week's Fintech Insider, or two weeks ago, Fintech Insider news show, this this podcast, sister podcast, about um, some of the problems Apple had had, uh, Apple and Goldman Sachs with their uh, underlying, well, it's thought to be the underlying algorithm that they were using to determine um, people's credit limits. And, and there was speculation that there was gender bias. Um, mm. And the point being that you often end up with unconscious bias because the data you're using is not disaggregated, actually, for gender. You, you really do need to disaggregate yeah. it a lot of the time. And, but then it kind of ties back into what um, Will was saying around working with kind of IT and business. Mm -hmm. The more people you have involved and the more collaboratively you work together, the more varied your data set is going to be. Yeah. Sorry, I, I talked over you, Luke, please. No, I was, I was going to make exactly the same point. It's very, it's very similar to the Apple issue last week. And obviously in insurance, you have to have gender-neutral pricing as well. So, it's, yeah, that's an important one. I'm still getting over gender-neutral pricing. I was somebody who learned to drive when I had cheaper, <laughs> cheaper car insurance than the lads my age. Oh, that's, that's a subject for another day as well. James? I was going to give you a simple example of bias please. that doesn't destroy everybody's lives, which can do, I guess. And that was, uh, we this we, we put in a solution around engineering. I told, told you before about reading reports. Before we did that, we gave an engineering report to 25 of our engineers and asked them to score them, and they all scored them differently. So the question is, how do you get a machine to come up with the right answer when you can't get humans to come up with the right answer? And that's a big problem to solve with, with AI. You have to agree what the right answer is first, including and including bias and all that good stuff. Um, so we, you know, we came up with, as long as you came up with the average or above the average of, of the answers, that, um, that, that would work for us. But the other thing in terms of look, talking about limitations is people underestimate it's not a magic bullet, uh, AI or machine learning. I think it needs uh, a lot of data is machine learning, I would say will, and tagged, very well-structured data to, to do machine learning. If you haven't got a lot of data, like commercial insurance, you need a lot of human involvement in your project. So people that can help teach the machine 
generally in our world in commercial insurance there's not a lot of data so we kind of use rule-based heuristic type AI a lot of the time which is um, using things like knowledge graphs which is uh, I don't know if you know about knowledge graphs no please tell us so knowledge graphs is, is like a massive data dictionary of the world it understands the world <laughs> wow. so they talk about it, it understands the apple in the context of a piece of text is apple the apple you eat and not apple the company so it's kind of it's a linguistic type approach to NLP natural language processing uh, and so we use more of that because we've got less examples of things. We use the understanding of the language within documents. And it's important to know the difference between the ability to teach a machine through regular uh, teaching through <coughs> seeing examples versus running a load of rules over the, the text. So that's something that's we've discovered by working with companies. It's quite it's difficult, basically. It's difficult. It's very yeah. difficult, and it doesn't always come at the right answer either, so that's even more difficult. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we come across this a huge amount, and we can start getting topics of yeah, clean data, um, access to data, and we find a lot of clients are looking to have perfect data sets. Whilst we such a thing as a perfect data set. <laughs> no, but I think in their mind, they, they only want to capitalise their sort of investment in technology when everything's lined up and sitting mm -hmm. above a sort of Azure data warehouse, etc. But what we're now starting to find, and this is something we do, is the ability to bring in multiple external data sets, and we tend to call it humanity's collective intelligence, from freely available data, from census, unemployment, 100 years of weather data, open source maps, which you can now automatically actually use around the more enterprise or corporate data sets to try and overcome some of those issues you have. And we often find the clients who take a more iterative approach to the business stakeholders who, who decide to try rapid impact projects, which I think is key for insurance where you're trying to prove uh, technology and the impact it might have in the business. And I think the second element then is on the ethics side is, and this may be somewhat too high level, so I'm sure some will disagree, but I think insurance comes in very noble background of a social bucket, which people put money into. And then when something happens, the money's paid out. Mm -hmm. With the massive personalization you're seeing and the deep level of insight we were talking about earlier and and the targeted underwriting, pricing, um, understanding of risk for each individual, I think actually we could in time have that risk of the poorest in society being unable to afford the price to cover their risk. Or, or just being uninsurable, actually, as well. So yeah. look at that from another way. When we've talked before on this show about health insurance and perhaps, um, you know, maybe someone will talk about this a little bit, but, you know, using... Fitbits or wearables or, you know, all those kind of um, fantastic gadgets that you can use to gather data and then basing policies off that. What happens if you're, you know, of a certain age with a heart condition and epilepsy and cancer? You know, you, I mean, you probably are uninsurable at the moment, but you become completely left out. And then, as you say, insurance no longer serves its function, which is to, to at its broadest, protect broader society. Yeah, and at the moment, we're finding the grey space of insuring the uninsurable. And so we had um, an individual aged 69 with a particular client who's just been offered life insurance for the first time <coughs> in the history of our client offering that. But I do think in time it's a risk, and, and we mentioned opt-in. But I do think insurance will soon have a role to play in terms of have, helping the customer's clients navigate life together with perhaps even factoring it into the lights of Alexa and recommending uh, low-risk options, guiding people away from elements, uh, intervening with their life events and making recommendations and I think that's easily commercialisable as well um, yeah what about perhaps um, you know just quickly because this, this could be a whole other show but about the the um, importance of regulational rules around the use of AI because we, we hear a lot about this generally if we narrow that down to just the insurance industry who who should be looking at how insurers or insurtechs or people working with those companies are using AI and are they already doing it? I don't know. I, I, may, I may not, you know, it may already exist and I don't know about it. 
Well, I think the government has a body that looks at this. The UK uh, government. The UK government yeah. is, yeah. Um, I was at the World uh, Economic Forum yesterday. They're doing a big piece around this. Uh, they're running workshops across AI that they're going to aggregate across the globe to see what the future of AI is in insurance. I think it's early doors. I don't think there's any specific regulation. For me personally, I think if you take the regulations of what we put on humans and processes, then they're a good start because all you're doing really, I say all, <laughs> is automating those through artificial intelligence. So, you know, transparency and all that stuff is true of, of human interaction. You have to be trans- you have to explain your decisions. So things like that, it's, it's common sense sometimes. And, and do we think that, um, this is just this was a fascinating subject as far as I'm concerned, we need UK rules and French rules and Spanish rules and American rules for the use of AI? Or do we think, given AI is global and implemented globally and some of the companies we've talked about here will be using, I'm sure AXA or XL will implement something developed in the UK across, you know, all the countries it operates in. Or do we need a pan-global AI set of basic rules and regulations in like 10 minutes as opposed to... <laughs> well, I, I, I'll use my, the same yeah. principle, which is, we have too many different regulations for the current processes mm-hmm. across the globe uh, for us to apply. The, the sa- insurance process. The yeah. insurance process, sorry. So we'd have North American processes, international processes, you know, the Middle East. They're all different. And actually, we set up businesses to service those for that specific mm-hmm. reason. So we need to solve those first before we start asking for the, the perfect world of AI being global. So we haven't solved it from a human being point of view. So I'd say, yes, we do. But good luck. You don't want to be the person who does it? <laughs> no. All right. Um, I'm going to ask my favourite question and my guest's least favourite question. Um, what's the future of automation and AI in the insurance industry? Where where do you see us going? Or where where do you hope we get to? If you, if you foresee a bleak future, where would you rather we got to? However you'd like to interpret that question. I'll start with Stephanie and then work my way around. So I think... Um, I guess from an immediate perspective, like we're seeing a lot more use of kind of automation and AI across, like Will was saying, sort of distribution policy claims underwriting. Um, The insurance industry is definitely kind of ripe for disruption. And you've seen like entrants like Lemonade, for example, that have Mm -hmm. come in. They're an app. Big big uses of AI or or say say they are, claim they are. Exactly. And they use chatbots. But when you compare them to like NFUs, for example, who are very much around kind of that personal touch um but have lemonade disrupted the market in the same way as like an airbnb or an uber has in the insurance industry probably not i guess my view would be applying kind of ai and automation is going to make huge strides forward but i think it will just reduce the cost space and make things more productive which will then allow organizations more time to figure out what is the new disruption, how can they change their business models? I think the way in which we're working at the moment isn't necessarily going to create the next kind of Uber of insurance. insurance. Yeah. All right. Luke, what's your take? Yeah, great. As I said, I I spoke a little little bit about it earlier, but it'd be good to see, um, as a consumer of insurance, it'd be good to see policies that would adapt, as I said, to my changing circumstances and and are continuous as opposed to something that might be taken out annually or monthly renewable. Um, So that's an example. I think in the McKinsey paper you mentioned earlier, the example they used is could you could you could you authenticate with your Tesla or download an app in your Tesla automobile that um, would would ensure you for the trips that you're going to take? So you Mm -hmm. plug into your sat nav. I'm going to take this route, and um, your your insurance provider will say, well, here are three recommended routes. One is high risk. One is low risk. One is medium risk. And um, this will these 
these these routes will add this amount to your premium over time, and then it, it, it's rolled up and billed monthly for the trips that I've taken on that course. So that sort of package, not just for uh, individual insurance products, but small micro insurances. So whether it's car, travel, home, uh, everything in one place. So I manage my portfolio of insurance policies, and they will adapt to my changing personal need, as opposed to me having to go to multiple different distributors or sellers of insurance and interacting in the traditional way uh, that insurance is being sold. So it's, it's that concept of invisible insurance. It's sort of it's already there doing what it needs to do. Something as that already, way. yeah, exactly. And I don't have to set aside two days a year to go through money supermarket and change all my policies. Exactly. <laughs> I don't actually do that. Um, <laughs> William, what's your view of the future? Yeah, I, I think you've nailed that there, the gig economy uh, and the rise of that. And they're looking at things like parametric insurance. Uh, we've got uh, a name we work with in Europe, a car insurer, where they, and a lot of insurers are doing this for renewals, but they are actually populating a driving app similar to Waze with offers for potential new drivers based on their driving behavior. And I, I always go back to, I think people overestimate how quick we will be to see the, the impact of AI, but they underestimate the overall impact. And I think where we sit... We'd love to see insurers move towards the social impact piece, collaboration using blindfold analytics, getting insights, not looking at actual personal data. Um, What's blindfold analytics? So blindfold analytics is where you have someone like a Spark Beyond, a software set across a data mm -hmm. set, but they would only provide insights to another collaborator. So two companies, one won't share data with the other, but instead you share the insights. So sort mm -hmm. of at a higher level. So we've, we've, we've examined the data and we found that this is the case without giving them the actual data that's got yep. that, right? Okay, yes. Exactly, yeah. Um, I'm sure many will disagree with that that, that definition I gave. Um, and I'd love to see them move towards social impact. I don't think social impact insurance has to be pro bono, but I think there is a heck of a lot of insights they can provide the individual having made insurance more affordable. Okay, how about you, James? Common theme, really. I think insure the person. Mm -hmm. uh, so for whatever reason, whether it's for motor, life, whether it's for your property... Uh, a world where you're just insured, whatever you do would be great. And that's all then managed by an infrastructure below that, full of AI, IoT, you name it, uh, in terms of um, technology. Um, I, see, I see that as the future. And without and this technology, I don't, think, I don't think we can do it. So it's kind of, it's one little step forward from you, Luke, which is I don't even care about the fact that I'm insured with that person, that person, that person. I'm just insured. Mm -hmm. so. and, and and for that to happen, this is a very important point about the explainability, right? So you just assume you're insured and then if something goes wrong and the computer says no, you better be damn sure that you can explain why the computer has said no because the person is no longer expected to have read through all their terms and conditions or whatever yeah. else it is. And you should be able to ask, right? You can say, am I insured? Oh, yeah. I'm going to take a trip tomorrow to wherever. Am I insured? Yeah. And then Alexa or whoever who's going to be around in five, <laughs> ten years' time will say, yes, off you go. Yes, yeah. Or don't do that. <laughs> don't do that, no. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> All right, brilliant. Um, so that wraps up today's discussion. Thank you so much to everyone for joining me. I should mention that Nigel will be so pleased we ended on invisible insurance, even though he couldn't be here today. It's his favourite subject <laughs> for regular listeners. Um, where can our listeners find out more about you and the companies you work for? Do you have... Twitter accounts, LinkedIn, websites, any other kind of social media I've never heard of. Uh, Stephanie, how about you? Um, probably LinkedIn. Microsoft's got a pretty good website as well. I've heard of Microsoft, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, is there really? any particular area people can go to to look at the way Microsoft's using AI? Is there a particular uh, yeah, well, section? Yeah, if you kind of search for Microsoft AI. You get, get straight there? Yeah. Brilliant. Good SEO. Um, I've got I've got Will next, so I'm going to go right. <laughs> yeah, I'm Will Maunder-Taylor on LinkedIn or www.sparkbeyond.com. Brilliant. James? LinkedIn, 
or james.breeze at axaxl.com if you want to contact me. And I'm guessing axaxl's got a pretty good website as well. Pretty easy to find. It is, but it's not a lot on it about AI. It's very, oh, good, okay. good, very good at commercial insurance. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anywhere we'd, you'd suggest we look, or people get in touch with you directly? Probably get in touch with me. We will be doing a lot around that going forward. So We'll keep our ears, keep, ears yeah. peeled. Yes, yes. Um, and Luke, how about you? Yeah, likewise, all the usual social media platforms. It's Luke Bewley on LinkedIn, and um, we're secure.io. We'll have a new website up and running shortly as well, which is very exciting. Fantastic. And you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky. Um, that wraps up another InsureTech Insider. Thank you to all of my guests, to Stephanie, Luke, to James and Will. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at InsureTech Insiders. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And please, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcast at 11fs.com. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.